Welcome to a new episode of Liftoff, a Jets football podcast, which your hosts, Chris, and from playlikeajet.com, Mr. Sean Phillip. And remember, you could follow us on Twitter slash X at Liftoff Jets. You could follow Sharman at GrownFolk1980. You could follow myself at CP7NY. You can find our podcast wherever you find your podcast at Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, and iHeartRadio. And you could also find us at sportswireradio.org. And you can follow the station manager there, Thomas Bryce, at Thomas Bryce 2017 for all the other scheduling of all the other great shows that are on the station. Jarman, we have a special guest again today. Yeah, um, we're, yeah. I mean, he's he he was about the tenth person we reached out to, but at least we got him. <laughs> um, we we got Scott Mason, the great play like a jet, Mister um, Play Like a Jet, yes. to everybody out there. Um, Scott, what's up, man? How are you doing? Charmin, I'm disappointed. You told me only nine people turned you down before me. Now you're telling me ten. <laughs> the list is growing. <laughs> <laughs> It is. Was there somebody down like after you asked me? You're like, all right, let's take one last shot at somebody else before we actually let Scott come on. <laughs> How did you know, man? How did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we seriously had we seriously thought about it, and we were talking about end of the season conversations, and we're like, I, I we seriously thought that one of the better conversations we could have is with you, man, and um, because. We know that how comprehensive your covering of the team is weekly during the season. So it's it's good to have a conversation with someone that went basically kind of lived through a lot of the inside conversations that have been had at, at One Jets Drive. So, oh, man, uh, where would we start, man? So much of this season it has been was a big disappointment. Um but I think we I got I we gotta start with probably the most controversial of, of controversy controversies <laughs> this season. It's the backup quarterback situation after Aaron Rodgers went down and coach and, and the front office never went to get anybody. And what was your view of the Jets handling of that whole thing? So my answer to this is gonna be nuanced and I know that People get mad when you do anything other than have an extreme opinion on any side of anything. But essentially, the way I look at this is I was saying all offseason that if the plan, which they said this was the plan, was for Zach Wilson to sit behind Aaron Rodgers and regroup and, and reset and learn and hopefully fulfill something close to his promise when he was drafted number two overall – then that needed to be the plan. And look, we all saw Zach Wilson. I was there that last game of the season again, or the national game against the Jaguars when it was a hailstorm. I was getting pelted. I was sitting there with my buddy, Chris Walker, and we all saw what happened. And then Zach Wilson got booed off the field. He got benched for Chris Strebler. I mean, I love Chris Strebler, but if you're a quarterback and you're getting benched for him, that's a problem. So everybody yeah. knew he wasn't, going to be somebody you wanted to play this year and so when they said that I thought okay well they have the new rule with the third quarterback and all that they'll go out they'll get a veteran in case something happens to Rodgers and Wilson will sit for the year basically red shirt and we'll see where they're at at the end of the year right you heard even during training camp oh he's making some progress but then they didn't do anything at backup quarterback and I will say the first thing that was a red flag to me was during the Rodgers trade 
talks that seemed to drag on for a million years. I had said a couple of times, if I was the Jets, I would be out there trying to sign a Gardner Minshew, a Jacoby Brissett, somebody like that, because you wanted to put the squeeze on the Packers. The Packers had nowhere else to trade Rodgers. Everyone knew that. The Jets were the only option, and they had to get rid of him. So if you're the Jets, if you want to give yourself leverage, you get somebody like that who's not great, but at least you can say, we have somebody who could theoretically start for us. The Jets didn't do that, and all they had was Zach Wilson. Everybody knew he wasn't going to start. So the Jets gave away that leverage in the trade talks. And then when they got Rodgers, I thought at some point they're going to add some sort of veteran with a track record because you don't want to play Zach Wilson. You've established already that he's not ready to be out there. And they never did it. And then I started hearing from a couple of the beat writers that I talked to, Andy Vasquez being one of them from NJ.com, yeah, it looks like they're just going to go with Zach Wilson as the backup. And I thought, okay, I mean, I don't really love the idea, but whatever. You certainly didn't expect Rodgers to hurt his, his AC, excuse me, tears Achilles four plays into the season. And so my thought was they should have gotten somebody before the season. I said it a couple of times on the show. I said it on Twitter. I thought Teddy Bridgewater could have even been an option as late as August. He was still sitting out there because I do understand that a guy like Minshew or Brissett, once they got Rodgers, right, those guys aren't going to want to come in here because they want to go somewhere where they might have a ch- legitimate chance to start. Minshew went in there. They had no quarterback. Even if they drafted somebody like Richardson, he'd at least have a chance to be the starter because maybe they sit the kid for a bit. And the same thing in Washington where Sam Howell was probably going to start, but maybe if he got beat out in training camp, set would have a shot. You're not going to have a shot with Rodgers here, obviously, unless he gets hurt. And even though he was going to turn 40, it's not like he had some history of missing a lot of games, right? But then once Rodgers went down at that point, I figured, okay, they're going to try to do something. Now, I didn't think there were a lot of options, but at a certain point, Dobbs gets traded. You could have looked into a couple of other guys that were apparently available. There's a rumor that Brissett was available at one point for a day three pick. And it's not necessarily that I think Brissett was going to make the difference and carry the Jets to the playoffs. And I'm not saying that Dobbs was going to do that either. In fact, what I said about Dobbs was they should have gotten Dobbs at least as the backup to Wilson because then you give yourself another option. A, if Wilson gets hurt, and B, if it's not working out with Wilson, you have another guy who at least you've seen can play a little bit. With Boyle and Simeon there, you knew you had nothing. It was going to be Wilson because, as Salah kept saying, and people didn't want to hear it, but it was pretty obvious, Wilson was clearly the best quarterback he had. He couldn't play guys he didn't have. And of the three he had, Wilson was clearly the best because he had the talent to at least give you a puncher's chance, right? And what I mean by that is if you look at the Giants game, Zach Wilson made throws at the end of that game that those other two guys are just simply not capable of making. They're not capable of making those throws. So they put themselves in that position, and then the trade deadline came and went, and that was it. There was nowhere to go. And so I think it was a combination of things. You heard rumors from Josina Anderson that maybe ownership said, look, we're on the hook to Zach Wilson for this much money this year and Aaron Rodgers for this much money. We don't want to spend even more money on another quarterback. Make it work. That might be what happened. It might also be Joe Douglas and Robert Salad decided that this was kind of going to be an unfortunate season where even if they went and got a Dobbs or something like that, 
they still weren't going to go more than about seven and 10 or something. And so it wasn't worth sacrificing future draft capital. Now I would argue that you still should have done something. Dobbs would have cost a late round pick swap, which is nothing. And even with Brissett, I mean, you t- to me, you give up a late round pick and you take a shot and you, you try to make the playoffs because this team hasn't made the playoffs in 12 years, right? But they chose not to do it for whatever reason, whether it was ownership, Douglas, Sal, whoever's responsible or a combination of it. And so, look, you knew what was going to happen at a certain point. The offensive line had 100,000 injuries, so almost nobody was going to, to overcome this, I suppose. And you had the, the receivers who turned out to all be bad except for Kevin. I mean, when your next best option turns out to be a five foot nine undrafted rookie, you've got a problem. So I think that's basically what happened is they just they had no real tenable backup plan going into this. They forced Zach Wilson into a position that they, by their, their own admission, decided he wasn't ready for. And so when it all came crumbling down on opening night, it seems like they just threw up their hands and said, all right, well, I guess we'll see what happens, but we're not going to try to do anything. Look, it, it even goes beyond the quarterback. They didn't do anything in the trade deadline either. There were moves that could have theoretically been made. Now, I, they called on guys that they knew they weren't going to get, let's be honest. The Raiders were not trading Devontae Adams at the trade deadline. <laughs> the Bengals were absolutely not going to trade T. Higgins when – Burrow at that time was still healthy, right? I mean, they weren't going to do it anyway. So I think that's what happened is that it was, they didn't plan accordingly and it blew up in their face. And then they just decided whatever we do now is not going to be enough. So let's just try our best here. And then you saw the shuffling of the deck chairs on the Titanic with Wilson and Poyle and Finian. <laughs> so that's what it was at the quarterback position. I mean, that that's quite a description of ex- I mean, of what was going on, it was shuffling of the deck chairs on the Titanic. Um, so you're telling me from your vantage point that the Jets literally had, they built, they had it built into the season that if it wasn't Aaron Rodgers, it wouldn't be anybody or anything. That's what you're telling me. I mean, it's what it feels like unless there's something I'm missing because they didn't get anybody before the season. They didn't get anybody after Rodgers went down. They didn't get anybody at the deadline. So the only conclusion you can draw is that for whatever reason, whether it was ownership's directive, which could have been the case, maybe, like I said, Woody Johnson said, and this is coming from Josina Anderson, or at least she was hinting at this. Maybe Woody Johnson said, I'm already shelling out more money. He, they spent second most cash in the league this year, and they were spending a ton on the quarterback position. So maybe Woody Johnson just said, make it work with what you got. Maybe Joe Douglas decided that he was comfortable enough with Wilson that he didn't want to make another move. I, I really couldn't tell you for sure. Maybe Nathaniel Hackett and Aaron Rodgers. That's another possibility. Maybe Aaron Rodgers was pushing for Wilson to get the opportunity. That's definitely possible too. They, they're they very close. So yeah. I don't know. I can't tell you exactly why, but there's a reason it happened. And clearly they decided that Rogers wasn't going to get hurt. They had no plan for if he did. And if it happened, they were just going to, you know, full speed ahead. And, and hopefully they were going to be able to, uh, to make, make it work with what they had. And um, obviously that wasn't, 
what happened. And to be fair, we don't know for sure that it would have been any better with a Josh Dobbs. I mean, it probably wouldn't have with Dobbs. Maybe with Bursette, it would have been better. Would it have been enough for them to make the playoffs? I don't know. But obviously, I would tell you that if they had somebody like Bursette, it would have given them a better chance. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Um, the 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 worrying factor of what you're saying, in my opinion, is um, I I I remember um, a Hard Knocks episode where um, Mr. Johnson was having a conversation with Coach Sala, and he goes about Quinn and Williams and how great Quinn and Williams is, and he mentioned something about the, his compensation, and Woody and Woody Johnson goes, "Yeah, that's a lot of money." <laughs> and, <laughs> and and the thing it just kind of hit me different you know what I mean when he said that because it's like I tend to kind of not disagree but kind of take it with a a, a, a a grain of salt when people say that he is you know kind of a little bit he, he, he gets too involved in football and personnel issues with the Jets, which it's kind of weird for people to say that because when if you're a guy that has millions of dollars or billions of dollars, whatever it is, and you buy something, would you like even if you hired people to do, take care of it? I don't I can't picture you not getting involved at all. You know what I mean? Um, but when he said that, it kind of dawned on me that maybe a lot of what people are saying about this guy is true. Is it you know? You have a Quinn and Williams. You know you got to pay him. You know, it's a given. You got to pay him a lot of money. So exclaiming on television that it's a lot of money, in my opinion, is to me, that's crazy. What's wrong? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I just thought it was funny because obviously for a billionaire to say it's a lot of money to pay a guy. And obviously, of course, it is a lot of money, even for a billionaire. Right a guy a hundred something million dollars. It's just kind of funny to hear Woody Johnson refer to anything as a lot of money. I think Woody Johnson has a weird reputation um, because ultimately I think people assume he meddles more than he probably does. And what I mean is I think when it comes to the business end of things like money and all that, yeah, I'm sure that to an extent he's somewhat involved. I, right. I don't, He's really like it's like he's telling Joe Douglas there was somebody was was trying to say that uh, Albert Breer talked about uh, something with a draft pick and uh, Woody Johnson or, or there being pressure to make a certain move or whatever. And people misinterpreted as Woody trying to tell Joe Douglas who to draft. I don't think for a second that Woody Johnson is involved to that degree where he's telling anybody who to draft or which free agents to chase. I do think that there are some very big ticket items. Like for example, Aaron Rodgers. right now, the ironic part is when they went to get Rogers, according to Charles Robinson, and he said this on play like a jet, when I had him on the, the, in the, the guy who was pressuring the most to stick to their guns about getting some sort of protection for that first round pick was not Joe Douglas. And it was not Robert Sala. It was Woody Johnson, which shocked me. And the oh, wow. reason Woody had seen 
what happened to the Rams with Stafford getting hurt and the Rams ending up having to give up, what was it, the fifth or sixth pick in the draft? He yes. had what happened to the Broncos and a similar situation where they ended up giving a top 10 pick for Russell Wilson, who wasn't anywhere near as good as he was with the Seahawks. And so he was afraid that they make this move, Rodgers gets hurt or something else happens, and now the Jets have a top 10 pick. Maybe Rodgers goes and retires, and now guess what? The Jets have no means of doing anything around that mistake, and they're screwed. And so I was kind of stunned to hear that, and I said, wow, okay, for all the bad things people say about Woody, if that is true, and I have no reason to believe it isn't because Charles Robinson is one of the best football reporters in the country, good for Woody. He's right. Um, Now, again, there are other instances where you hear stories, and I'm sure that when it comes to money, I've heard a lot of things about how Woody, or not even Woody specifically, but Woody's people, uh, you hear guys like Jaime Elheim, for example, and Ira, forget what Ira's last name is, but he's another one that's that's a high up there. You hear about guys like that having Woody's ear and them being very money conscious. So that might be where the Quinn and Williams comment came from or whatever so that that stuff but to be fair like you said Charmin I think it is his money and he does have every right to have to sign off on financial transactions like that I mean we can all call Woody cheap or whatever he outlaid the second most cash in the league this year he I don't think he's ever really had a huge problem spending money so I do think that he gets involved in like the real major stuff and when it comes to finances and things but I don't think he's sitting there going listen, I don't really like the idea of trading such and such guy for a fifth round pick or anything like that. You know what I mean? Right. I, I feel you on that. Chris? Um, before we get into the season, uh, since we're talking about Aaron Rodgers, before uh, they talked to Aaron Rodgers, they did have Derek Carr in. How close were they to signing him or did they really like him that much that they were going to sign him or did they know Aaron Rodgers is the guy? I think they really did like him. And I had heard some whispers that Robert Sala was leaning towards, let's just get Carr and not risk the possibility that Rodgers doesn't want to play here or something like that. Hold on one second, guys. Hold on one second. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting the the whole conversation about um, about. Um, okay, spending. I'm back. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Scott. So that was sorry. I just had uh, something real quick to uh, to deal with, but anyways, no. So there, I have heard whispers that Robert Salo wanted to just go with Carr and not risk, you know, the possibility that they weren't going to be able to get Rogers because at that point in time they weren't a hundred percent sure. They were going to be able to get him. Uh, I think Douglas really wanted to wait for Rodgers. I'm sure Woody probably did too. And again, I can't say any of this with dead certainty. It's just stuff that has been whispered. Sometimes that stuff ends up being true. But the people I heard it from tend to usually have a keen ear for these things. So it's probably something that was at least on the table. I think Carr really did like the situation and I think they really did like Carr. I think if Rodgers wasn't available or they didn't think they could get Rodgers, they would have gotten Carr. I, I do believe that's the case, but I think that ultimately they decided that while they like Carr, 
and they thought he would be a good quarterback for them and certainly a significant upgrade. And for as embattled as he was this year, and I know he had his ups and downs, overall, you look at what he did in New Orleans, and again, I'm sure that Jets fans would have hated him because uh, Card, everything he does is under a microscope, more so than most quarterbacks for some reason. That is very true. Yep. He's polarizing for some strange reason. But anyways, I, I do think that um, ultimately they, they would have been happy with him in any under, other circumstance. But I think they saw it as we could get Carr and we can be a playoff team and maybe we get lucky and we make a run. But if we get Rodgers, we have a chance to be a Super Bowl contender right away. And my personal contention, and Sharman, you and I have had many conversations about this. I always said, yeah, Rodgers on the Jets gives them a puncher's chance. Because if you have Rodgers, sure, there's always a puncher's chance. But I always felt like the the realistic possibility was more along the lines of they'd be a playoff team. Maybe they win a playoff game, but I didn't think they were going to be good enough with the personnel that they had mm. to, to go and win a Super Bowl or, or really go that deep. Because, you know, we, we talked about this a lot, Sharman, you and I, we text a lot. I, I would, I would say, and I said this on Twitter, the Jets needed another weapon. They needed yes. to have a better, stronger offensive line. I like Mekhi Becton. And while obviously the, you know, he had a good game the last game, but he struggled for a good portion down the stretch but I, I like Beckton. However, he hadn't played in two years. Dwayne Brown, 38 years old, coming off a major sh- uh, shoulder surgery. You had no idea what you were getting from him. So you, you looked at that whole situation. Joe Tipman, a rookie, what was he going to do right off the bat? And the O-line and the weapons. Look, Tyler Conklin's a solid tight end. He's a legitimate starter, and it's something the Jets haven't had in a long time. But you're never going to sell me that Tyler Conklin is a major difference maker. He's not. True. Even Very true. They talk, you know, everybody talks about Corey Davis a lot. Oh, if only Corey Davis hadn't left. Look, I like Corey Davis. He's a solid receiver. Let's not kid ourselves here. He was by no means some major difference maker. He was better than what they have, I suppose. But a lot of people would have argued whether he was even better than Lazard before we finally realized that Lazard isn't any good without Aaron Rodgers. (laughs) Corey Davis, Jets fans used to scream about him dropping passes and he missed a bunch of and all this. So to me, and I, you know, I advocated, I thought they should have drafted a wide receiver or they should have, the the guy they really could have gotten even after that was DeAndre Hopkins. I had people telling me Hopkins is over the hill or whatever, which he clearly wasn't. If you watch this tape, the guy was putting up great games with terrible quarterbacks in Arizona and look at what he did in Tennessee this year. So I thought they should have signed Hopkins. I thought they should have made a mover. I mean, look, the funny thing is on the offensive line, guys, they went after Orlando Brown, who was far and away the best offensive lineman on the free agent market. And according to Brown himself, they offered him the most money that anyone did. But he went to Cincy because he thought he had a better shot at a Super Bowl. And it just seems like the Jets went after Orlando Brown. And when they couldn't get him, they just said, oh, well, all right, well, too bad. We're just going to go with what we got. And it didn't make any sense to me. So I always felt like their calculation of where this team was just that they just felt like if we just get Rodgers, we can go to a Super Bowl. And I think that was a big part of why they were insistent on waiting for Rodgers rather than 
getting a deal done with Carr is because they thought that with Rodgers, Super Bowl, with Carr, playoffs, and look, I get it. If you really think you can win a Super Bowl with Rodgers, sure, but I never believed that. And then also, let's be honest too, I know he was playing with a hurt thumb, but Rodgers had the worst season of his career last year. So at 40 years old, you have to wonder, is he starting to regress a little bit? What's really going on? We don't know. So I think that's what led to it. I think part of the problem here was the uh, the the fatal conceit of overestimating where the roster was at. But yes. one thing I will say to put a bow on this particular topic is I hope, I hope hmm. anything good that came out of this season, it's that the Jets saw what they are without Rodgers and realized it's they need to make more improvements than just Rodgers coming back, that they need to do something at what. And to be fair, Rodgers himself said this, both on McAfee and in the season-ending presser. So he clearly is aware of this. And if he's aware of it, I'm sure they are too. But I think that's the only real positive that could come out of this is that they have to know now that they've got to make major improvements on the O-line and in the category of weapons. Mm -hmm. And if they can do that to a a great degree and Rodgers comes back healthy – the ceiling, I think, will be higher than it was this year. But we'll see. Remains to be seen. I have – I think I think the best question after this is, what are your views on Robert Sala and his coaching staff? I know that up front, the question right now that's swirling around Twitter and, and wherever else on social media is Keith Car- Carter. What Number one, what's your view on him? Um, I have my own personal views of who, what, what happened this year. Um, what do you think of him? And what do you think of, of Robert Salah's coaching staff on the whole and the way he coached this, se- this season? Well, first of all, Keith Carter, it's funny. Uh, when, when the Jets hired him, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on positional coaches, right? What you do is, and this is how I do it, right? Like I'll watch what I watch and I'll, I'll see what I see. But I also like to gather information. So I'll talk to people who were around the Titans, covered the Titans, whatever. Like I have I have people that I trust, whose opinions I trust that cover pretty much all of these teams. And so I went to one or two people and I said, tell me about Keith Carter. And I didn't hear anything good. And then you heard hmm. Taylor Lewan come out and Taylor Lewan despises Keith Carter. He, he's gone on and on about how much he doesn't like him, right? And you look at it and you say, okay, well, at the best, Keith Carter is a guy who the O-line in the running game succeeded when Henry was healthy and the O-line was healthy. When he didn't have his horses, they were bad. So you say at best, he's just not a difference maker. and He's just a guy who's kind of there. At worst, he's a bad coach who was hidden by an elite running back in an elite offensive line, right? Hmm. And then you hear from some of the, guys that cover the team or around the team. And you hear from guys like Taylor Lewan that he can rub players the wrong way and a couple of other things. And my estimation was, I think this is going to end up being a mistake. And to me watching this year, it sure felt that way. Now, obviously he dealt with an insane amount of injuries. There's no question, but we saw a lot of teams that had a ton of injuries this year in the O line and they all seemed to perform better than the jets did. So, 
look, the bottom line is it's a results-based business. So we can cut you some slack, obviously, for the injuries, but how much slack? As far as the rest of the staff, I like Jeff Ulbrich. There's certain things where I don't love, like when he said something like, well, this when he was asked about Sauce trailing the other receiver, and I think you really saw this a lot in the Dolphins game with Jalen Waddle. Yes. That, I Ugh. would have sauce over to Waddle because it was clear. I like DJ Reed. I think we all do, but it was clear that it was a bad matchup for DJ Reed and they needed to go. Look, the difference between DJ Reed and sauce is that DJ Reed is a really good cornerback and sauce is like the best cornerback, right? The best way I could put this is DJ Reed is a really attractive girl in your town that you would be thrilled to have as your girlfriend or wife. Sauce Gardner is Beyonce, right? Somebody like that. The cream of the crop. That's what we're talking about here. So when you absolutely have to, you go to Sauce. And the fact that Ulbrich was stubborn about that stuff and would give an answer like, well, I think we know what we're doing. It's work for us, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I get it. And you wonder, yeah, right? It's nuts. Like to me, it's like, I get it. You're a good coach. You know what you're doing, all that. But the best coaches, even the even the guys that are the biggest experts, look at Bill Belichick. He yes. would throw a game plan every single week. And so I'm just saying, like, if you're somebody like Ulbrich, that's the one knock I have on him is that you got to be flexible. If what you're doing isn't working that day, change it up and don't be arrogant about it. But I think a lot of the stuff, look, I don't have to say anything about Nathaniel Hackett, right? We all get that. We saw what he did in Denver with Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. We saw what he did this year. People – uh, our mutual friend Joe Blewett loves to call it freeze frame scouting. They'll be like, I was watching the tape <laughs> freeze frame of a photo and this guy was open. Okay. What was his assignment? What was yeah. the route? Where was the quarterback supposed to be looking like? We could go through all of this stuff. You can't know that from a still photograph, right? But, anyways, Hackett is clearly terrible in way above his head. And look, it wouldn't have mattered if Rodgers was here because Rodgers would have just checked out of 95% of his stupid play calls. But when you're talking about uh, Wilson and Boyle and Simeon, it's a big problem because you need somebody that actually knows what they're doing, right? So I don't really like those guys. And I think Salah as the head coach, it's a tough one because I think that Rex Ryan, he's a lot like Rex Ryan in some ways, right? Where the players really love him and they would run through a wall for him. But there's a lot of the other things that are very important as a head coach that seem to elude him. Stuff like time management, stuff like game awareness. I mean, you guys probably remember that game. I want to say it was in 2011 or 12. I cannot remember which year. One of the two. When they were playing, the Jets were playing Miami and Santonio Holmes was being such a dirtbag that his own teammates kicked him out of the offensive huddle, right? And after the game, Rex Ryan was asked about this, and he basically admitted that he didn't even know that until Ugh. after the game was over. Now, you're the head coach, man. When so- one of your players is getting kicked out of the huddle by his own offensive teammates, you got to know that. How do you not know that? Somebody has to bring that to your attention, or you should be paying attention. And it felt like Rex was only just concerned with the defense. And in a lot of ways, it feels like that with Salah. I think the players mm-hmm. like him, respect him. But also, look, 
Jason Brownlee gets called for an illegal shift or whatever, comes off the field and Salas patting him on the head and giving him an attaboy. That's no good. How many times no. have we guys not pay any uh, or not face any consequences or anything for their repeated penalties? CJ Ozama yes. and, and CJ Ozama's oh. really because they, I argue, I would argue they had two tight ends on the roster better than him. And yet. <laughs> It's called for. I was at that Raiders game and he got called for what was it like four penalties and they just kept sending him out there. So I believe it was a Raiders game, if I'm not mistaken. But the point is, I think Salah is more concerned with being everybody's buddy. That Joe Beningo thing is absolutely wild that he would text (sighs) Joe or whatever. I think he's more concerned. Do you you believe that actually happened? The texting with Joe Beningo? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Of course it did. Wow. Why you don't think he Chris, was we never spoke, spoke about this. <laughs> Chris, Beningo, Chris and I never spoke about this. Oh, yeah. Beningo, Beningo isn't going to make it up. I know him and Salah text, and even Salah didn't deny it. I mean, they text each other. So um, it, it's just wild to me that he would be texting Joe Beningo. No offense to Joe, but that's not what you should be doing. Right, uh, right. So I just – look, I, I think this year will be the make or break for Robert Salah. He, his built-in excuse has been, I had no quarterback, right? I, that, I would argue part of the problem is they didn't do a, uh, any kind of good job with developing Wilson. But either way, the excuses are gone if you have a healthy Aaron Rodgers. So we'll see what happens. But I was flabbergasted when people were trying to say, oh, well, listen, Robert Sala is the same as Mike Tomlin. It's just that Tomlin had Roethlisberger all these years. Preposterous. Uh-huh. Preposterous. I, I don't, don't know where people are coming up with this, but blasphemy. It, That's what that yeah, is. Absolutely. But this year will be the year, guys. This will be the year where, look, as far as I'm concerned, if the Jets don't at the very minimum make the playoffs this year, and I don't care if Rodgers gets hurt because now you know that that's mm. a str- strong possibility. You better be prepared for that, and you better have a way to make the playoffs without him if it comes to that. Or if it's me, now I don't know what he would do, but if it's me, you make the playoffs, unless like 95% of the roster gets hurt, you make the playoffs or I'm going and finding a new GM and a new coach. It's that simple. Yeah. And I agree. And I, I think that should absolutely be the, you know, the the move after this season if if they don't get to the playoffs, like you said, because look around the league. And, and Charmin and I have been talking about it. How many injuries have been going on throughout the whole league? I mean, a great example, I know it's not the only example, but a great example is the Browns. I mean, they lost they lost Chubb early. They lost Deshaun Watson early. Their tackles, uh, many other injuries. And they're sitting there as the best wild card going into the playoffs, maybe the hottest team going into the playoffs, with their – they basically played five quarterbacks this year, right? Because they played their fifth one in the last game. But they're going in with yep. Joe Flacco, who go – if we go back to um, – one of our questions earlier, how come the Jets didn't pick up a quarterback? He was calling them, right, to sign mm-hmm. up? Or no? Yeah, that, that's that's what they were saying, is that he was letting them know he was interested. I will say this, though, to be fair, and you guys, I'm sure, would agree with this. We saw Flacco last year. Yeah. Yeah. We saw him practice. <laughs> and listen, I was at that Bills game. His feet looked like they were stuck in cement. He looked like he didn't want to be there. Like, he literally wanted to be anywhere else but there, right? So... I kind of feel like I can't get on Joe Douglas and Robert Sala about Flacco. I know he's done well with Cleveland, but I I wouldn't have seen this coming. 
That said, yeah, there had to be some move they could have made. We talked about it before. Bridgewater was available in August. They could have gotten Dobbs, somebody, something. Try. I mean, apparently Brissett was available at the deadline. Do something. Show the fans you're giving it some sort of effort. You claim this team was a Super Bowl caliber roster. If you really believe that, then a guy like Brissett should be good enough to at least put you in position to compete at the end of the season for a playoff spot. And that's something I think you owe the fans after all these years. And when you think about it, we got seven wins. I mean, you're going to tell me Brissett couldn't have won two more games, right? Three I mean, more games. Listen, maybe he would have, maybe, maybe he wouldn't, but I think we agree that they would have had a better chance if he was here at least. No doubt. Yep. Yeah. Overall, um, this is, of course, I mean, I mean, the way the climax to the beginning of the game, um, beginning of the first game of the season, um, everybody's view of this team was skewed by the by the fact that Aaron Rodgers was on this team. And a lot of the conversations that we were having, I remember Chris and I were having a conversation about about the kid, um, what's his name? The wide receiver we got from Green Bay. And, and we kept saying over and over again, if this guy was going to be a number two, you you failed this team, and I know. Listen, Chris and I do this as a hobby. We're not. We're not. We know. We, what do we know? But in my like, I I never thought he was gonna suck this bad. No, no, but, nobody. <laughs> but I never thought. But I didn't think he was gonna be a good number two to Garrett Wilson in the first place. Yeah, because the season he had before that, in my opinion, it was more that more of a fluke. And it was more because of who was throwing him the ball than he himself being the, the, the catalyst behind the season he had. So I was, I was dumbfounded by the whole Super Bowl thing. And I really did not. I wasn't one of these the fans that kind of drank the whole Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. I thought we were going to have a good season, but I didn't think that we were going on this crazy run because I felt like, like you said, again, no disrespect to our tight ends. They're not difference makers. They're good. They're solid guys, but they're right. not difference makers. The only guy on that team, on the on the wide receivers, was Garrett Wilson. And then for some reason, our offensive coordinator didn't figure out that our running back could actually catch the ball out of the backfield until later <laughs> this season. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so it it so it was doomed to fail from the beginning. And what what scares me most. And what and as uh, the as the same, it almost feels like it's the same view that they're having going into next season, and that's what scares me because Ooh. it it they're a little bit more um hog tied because they only have this one first round pick, no second round pick, and the, uh, a third round pick, meaning they could only target target a small amount of game changes. And I got to ask you, because I think we kind of had this conversation before. Um, we, we were texting about it. Do we go, because the chances of a tackle for, I know Daniel Jeremiah and a few mock drafts have come out saying that a tackle is going to drop to us. I see. I call bullshit. <laughs> because I have, I, have this, I have this thing that I say all the time about, about um, good offensive linemen. They're they're like um they're definitely like uh rare Pokemon. You can't find you can't find them. You know? 
so so I so I'm saying so you're telling me that 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 the NFL is gonna allow for Joe Alt to fall all the way to ten. This is ridiculous. I I don't believe this for a second, and I and I don't believe Fashano either is gonna fall to ten. So I don't believe any of this. That means we're gonna be playing. We're gonna get our hands on the third best tackle, and in my opinion, whoever the first third round third best tackle is, you've watched more than more of them than I have. I am kind of disturbed at two things. I see a lot of guys that are very good at zone blocking, that that's good on the run. But if you, if you're talking about true pass sets, they're kind of shaky. And I, listen, I'm not an offensive evaluator, offensive line evaluator at all. But I'm kind of I'm I don't have the kind of uh, conviction in some of those guys that some people do. I have more conviction when you're talking about game game changes in the Bowers tight end, the guy, the kid Bowers. And the couple of wide receivers that I've watched. What are your thoughts of what I said? So I will say this, first of all, I understand what you're saying as far as the offensive lineman in this draft. But what I would say to you is that the first thing we need to keep in mind is that we never really know where these guys are going to go until you start to see the draft process unfold in terms of the combine, the workouts, all the physicals, you hear whispers about such and such guy has some sort of thing that you didn't know about. There's a million mm. different things out there. So we can't really know. I will also say that I have heard, I'm pretty friendly with Walter Cherpinski at walterfootball.com. And his guy, Charlie Campbell, is one of the best in the business at reporting this stuff. And he's not 100% convinced that Fashanu goes in the top five or anything like that. He thinks it's possible at 10 and that he, it's also possible JC Latham goes ahead of him. Now that doesn't mean it's going to happen. It just means as of now, who knows, it does seem like at the moment, Joe all appears to be the consensus top tackle, but we'll see what I will say is, and, and I haven't watched, I've watched, some film on most of these guys, but I haven't done deep, deep, deep dives yet. I, I think Brandon Thorne is one of the best guys out there when it comes to offensive line. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Is very, very bullish on this offensive line class. Now, the only thing I would say mm. is that he has said that he thinks a lot of the good tackles may end up being interior guys in the pros. He's mentioned that with Talise Fuaga from Oregon State. He's mentioned yes. that with Gordon Morgan from Arizona. He's mentioned that with Graham Barton from Duke. Those are just a couple of the guys that he has said he thinks might be better on the interior in the pros. But there are a lot of really good tackle prospects here. And for the Jets' purposes, the first round has 32 guys in it. According to Bleacher Report, again, not the Bible, but just a decent place to start. Brandon Thorne is one of the guys that helps with the evaluations. 18 of their top 32 prospects in this upcoming draft, either pass catchers or offensive linemen. So that's a positive step. What, what, I, I, what, what I would say is th that their best option, unless something unexpected happens and somebody falls that we're not thinking of, it's probably if they can to trade down a few picks, but I don't know that that's going to be a realistic possibility at 10. 
I would also say that we have to see what they do in free agency first, right? If they can somehow land a Mike Evans or something like that, look, I don't think they're going to be able to get Devontae Adams. I have no doubt, none, that the Jets are going to call the Raiders and try. I just feel like whether it's Antonio Pierce or they get a bigger fish like Jim Harbaugh, why would that guy want to come in right away and get rid of their best offensive player when the team with no quarterback almost made the playoffs? They were, they were at least in spinning distance of the playoffs. Right. So you're, I don't think they're going to trade Adams unless Adams goes scorched earth, which I don't think he's going to. It doesn't sound like he has any reason to, because he likes Antonio Pierce and I'm sure if it's Harbaugh, He'll be happy because it's hardball, right? I'm right. sure they'll try. T. Higgins, I think, gets tagged, but whatever if he doesn't. A guy like Calvin Ridley, who had his struggles this year, but he would still be a big improvement for the Jets at wide receiver two, something like that. Getting back to the draft, and, and then uh, with the, the, the offensive lineman, unfortunately, this the problem, as you guys both know, is that it's yes. very in free agency to get anybody who's any good. I mean, their best option might be to bring back a guy like George Fant, who isn't really all that good, but at least he's shown you he can start if you ha- if you has to, right? Uh, there's just not a lot of quality out there in free agency, but you get the best guys you can in whatever. I was I- going to ask you not to not to cut you off, but um, since you're on the t- on the topic of the free agency, um, did you did um did you watch New England play at all? offense on their offensive line this year yeah yeah um what did you think of any of their tackles i mean let's i'm not gonna say i did a deep dive on those guys but you know let's put it this way you saw what the jets just did to the patriots in that last game (laughs) yeah and that offense has been terrible in fact the patriot offense was the Patriots, the Giants, and the Jets, I think, were like the three worst offenses this year. Yes. So it was really, really tough to watch. Uh, look, I guess it might – Trent Brown or somebody might be better than what they have, but he gets hurt all the time anyway. Oh, think, yeah, that's the that's the guy I was going to ask you about. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I guess he's experienced and couldn't be any worse than Dwayne Brown, who probably wouldn't play anyway. So – so somebody like him, I suppose you could take a shot at. I, I suspect David Bakhtiari probably winds up here for obvious reasons. Uh, I think uh, he probably uh. <laughs> training camp or something, but whatever. But I, I think they're going to have to just get the best guys they can in free agency and then go into the draft. And this is sort of where I'm at with it. Mm. The draft. I think. I would be ready to make a move into the second round from the third if there's a guy on the board, and there very well could be, that I think could start right away. So I'll just – let's throw this out there as an example. Let's say that somebody like Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma is on the board at – whatever middle of the second round middle of right? mm-hmm. and the jets are sitting there they got two fourth rounders you take your third you take your fourth you package them up and you go move up and you get tyler guyton right and and you go and you you have him as your starting right tackle next year i'm not my my buddy glenn naughton from jet nation has advocated trading next year's number one i don't like that idea so much because 
I think a lot of things could go wrong and you don't want to be in a position where you don't have that first round pick, but trading up from the third is something they should be very ready to do. Trading back from the first, if they can get extra picks is also something they should be very willing to do. Even if they can't get an extra second rounder, if you can get an extra third in a trade down, you could then package that third in a deal to move back into the second round. So there's a lot of ways you could do it, but to me, and this is just my opinion, Depending on which offensive linemen are available at 10, I would be going into the draft with that being my first intention. However, I would also look to see what the trade offers are and how the board breaks, right? right. So if I'm getting a 10, and let's say, let's just say for argument's sake, that the three, I have three tackles with top 10 grades on them and everybody else I have more closer to the twenties or whatever. Right. So let's just say for the sake of argument, we're talking about Joe Alt from Notre Dame, Olaf Fashanu from Penn state and JC Latham from Alabama. Right. If those three guys are gone and I'm sitting at 10 and I can't get a satisfactory move to trade down. If he's on the board, I know you and I were talking about this the other day, Charmin, man, do I love Brock Bowers. I love yeah. Brock Bowers. The only thing that's a little, a little bit of a knock on him, and it wouldn't be a deal breaker for me, is that he's a little on the small side for an NFL tight end. He's 6'4, 240. I know it sounds crazy to a normal person that that would be considered small, but when you consider <laughs> somebody like Gronk, who was 6'7, 265, or Travis yep. Kelsey, or somebody like that, he's a little on the smallish side. But look, he can block. He's not. Gronk level blocker, but who is, but he can block. He's a plus blocker. Right. And what he does and what he brings that I think would be so perfect for this offense is number one, he's a difference maker. Number two, I think he's a guy that constantly creates match nightmares and number three, but this is the most important. He plays perfectly to what Aaron Rodgers likes to do. Now I talked about this on the show with Alex Rollins before the season 60% of Aaron Rodgers passes with Green Bay in his final year in 2022 were at or behind the line of scrimmage, okay? He loves to throw those types mm -hmm. of passes and have guys get yak for him. He also loves to throw 50-50 balls downfield, and here's the reason why he does those things. He believes in precision timing, sort of the way Tom Brady did. He also believes that throwing to the middle of the field where there's a lot of gain to be made, you can make some big plays down the middle of the field. However, that's also where you're risking interceptions and turnovers the most because oh, yeah. the help comes over. You know how it goes. If you throw a 50, 50 ball in one-on-one -on -one coverage down the field, more times than not, it's either your guys coming down with it or it's going to be incomplete. So Rodgers loves to do both of those things. He loves the 50-50 the balls downfield, and he loves the short precision passes that he relies on guys to take for yak. If you guys have watched Brock Bowers, guess what? Yes, He's great. Sir. Both of those things. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I think also the fact that he can block would be a plus. And then I've heard people say, and apologies if I'm going on a little too long about this, but I've heard people say that Jeremy Ruckert, and Tyler Conklin and CJ Ozama, they have a crowded tight end room. Why would you take Brock Bowers? And this sounds a lot to me like the people who were yelling at me in 2021 
that the Jets did not need, excuse me, 2022, that the Jets did not need to do anything in cornerback because they had Bryce Hall and they had Brandon Eccles and they were just fine with those guys and the scheme doesn't value corners and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to hear the hmm. same thing. You don't need a tight end. They're not that important. And also the they have Ruckert and they have Conklin. Okay. Conklin's fine. Solid tight end. No question. He's also going into the last year of his deal. And like I said, he's fine, but he's nothing more than that, right? Perfectly capable tight end. That's it. Jeremy Ruckert has 159 yards receiving for his career. For his career, okay? Hmm. He showed, I think, that he's actually a better fullback at the NFL level than tight end, and he could play that role next year potentially. Azama, forget it. Useless, he's going to be gone anyway. None of that is any reason to bypass Brock Bowers. And the other thing is, when people say he's a tight end, you don't draft tight ends that high. I had one guy say to me, you see what a top tight end gets paid compared to what a top receiver gets paid. You always got to take the receiver. And my answer to that is, look, the Jets have a two to three year window at most with Aaron Rodgers, where they have to do everything they can to try to win. I'm not really that concerned about what a guy is getting six years from now in a second contract. I'm concerned about giving Aaron Rodgers the guy that A is the biggest difference maker and B is the guy that would mesh with his talent and his skill set and what he likes to do the most, right? I think Bowers would be an absolute star for the Jets. The only thing that would hold me back with him is that you've got that offensive line problem. And so if you if you're going to draft Bowers at 10, we talked before about how the Jets seemingly had absolutely no plan for when Rodgers went down. They also seem to have no plan for when Corey Davis retired. And by the way, they should have known it was coming because they knew about his personal issues well ahead of when he decided to finally go ahead and step away. That's a whole other discussion. But if you're going to take Bowers at 10, which I'd be totally fine with because he's an awesome player and I think he'd be great with the Jets and great with Rodgers, you better have a plan for how to do what you need to do with that online, whether you fixed it in free agency, whether you, like I said, find a way to get into the second round at least once to get the tackle you want. You have to have to have a plan to fix that O-line. If you're going to take Bowers, I think it's certainly doable. I outlined a couple of ways it could be done, but you have to do it if you're going to take Bowers. And I just hope that they consider Bowers because he's worth considering if he's on the board. But I also hope that they have more than one plan and that that plan isn't just we're going to sit at 10 and hope a good offensive lineman that we really love falls to us. I will, I will, I will um, kind of back up your plan by if people pay attention to the other um, high end office offenses in the NFL, almost every offense that is an offense that's killing the NFL right now, lions, Rams, whoever you want to talk about, Guess what is the centerpiece of their offense? Tight end, a good tight end, and one that could do exactly what uh, Scott just talked about. Chris, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say at ten, you might have, or we might have a shot at trading down because you got Minnesota, Denver, Vegas, and the Saints all behind us, and they're all looking for a quarterback. So if you know if they're interested in one of those second tier guys, obviously the top three are going, probably top three. But after that, 
you know, um, th- that second tier of quarterbacks might be there at 10 and they might want to move up. So maybe we could get a second from them. What do you think of that? You would hope. I mean, listen, yeah. we'll see what happens at the combine and all that. My gut instinct at the moment is that, like you said, I think the three top guys and clearly in whatever order, and this kind of blew my mind, but uh, Walter Cherpinski told me, and he said this on the show, that Charlie Campbell surveyed a bunch of different front office guys, scouts, coaches, whatever across the league. And they're way more split on who QB one is in this draft than most people realize. And it's Mm. not, it's not just the debate over Williams and may it's a debate over Williams may and Jane Daniels. So I think those three guys most likely going in the top five in what order I can't say for sure. I still would guess that you're going to see Williams go one may two and Daniels three in terms of the order the quarterbacks picked, but I don't know. But as far as the next tier, that's the question because I don't see a team drafting one of those guys, whether it's Penix or whether it's JJ McCarthy that high. I just, I think the problem with Penix is, and you saw it in the national championship game, like when he has a clean pocket, he's tremendous, but also Look at the supporting cast he had. Look at the fact Ugh. that he's 24. That's not a deal breaker. Jaden Daniels is, I think, 23 as well. But the injuries, man, he tore his ACL twice in the same knee. That knee's a ticking bomb, hmm. t- and that's a tough pill to swallow for a team that high, right? McCarthy's okay, but I also haven't seen enough to make me think that some team's going to roll the dice on him at 10. But then again, you never know. Ryan Tannehill, although Ryan Tannehill had a, a pretty solid career, but he ended up going eighth when a lot of people were kind of surprised by that. Christian Ponder, I think, went in the top 10. So you never know. All it takes is one team to do something. But it could happen. It's not impossible. And there's also, listen, there's always going to be players that fall a little bit that maybe some team wants to get aggressive and move up for. I mean, I'll give you an example. Remember what happened with the Giants and the Eagles and the Cowboys a few years ago when the Eagles le- leapfrogged the Giants to make sure they got Devontae Smith at number 10. Yeah. So something yeah. like that could certainly happen. But at the moment, I would say that getting a big haul for possibly a quarterback is unlikely, but we'll see. You know, we have the combine, we have the interviews, we have the workouts. It just takes one team to fall in love, so it's not impossible. But I would say you're probably more likely, if you get a trade-down partner, to be getting somebody that's trying to trade up for one of the receivers or something like yes. that. But yeah. we'll see. Yeah, because the receiver, the receivers is deep, man. And, and, and it's, you know, I, I, I go, I always listen to um, um, Connor Rogers. Um, for years, I've listened to him, and and he's almost never stirred me wrong, and. His first, his outlook on the wide receiver, on the wide receiver's front was kind of crazy for me uh, from earlier in the season when I listened to him and he started, I never watched Neighbors before. Um, he, he sent me over there, basically. And I went and I, and I was kind of blown away by him and the, other, the kid from Washington also. Um, but you're right. Um, the the um, we were talking about the kid uh, Coleman. Um, there's a ton of really talented wide receivers that, like you said, that might 
get somebody to want to lip frog somebody to come to tent to grab somebody. So we might uh we might be luck lucky in that way. Um so that that could be a good thing for us. But we're we're at a lot of what you said, in my opinion, goes back to what the issue was the year before. And that resting on your laurels, believing and hoping that Aaron Rodgers would be the the part, the man that would come blow blow into town and basically fix everything that ails you. If you did not learn from last season that that's impossible for him to do, and you don't give him what he needs to be able to perform to the level he could at his advanced age, I don't know. I, you deserve to get fired, in my opinion. Uh, so, more than anything, in my from my vantage point, I I'm kind of sit standing on pins and needles, kind of waiting to see what the Jets are going to do next. Because to me, if they don't do anything, to me, the season is doomed. Yeah, I agree. I think they have to do whatever they can in free agency to at least get guys that could possibly start if need be. I would like to see, I've said this all along, I'd like to see Becton come back. I, it doesn't sound like that's likely to happen. It seems like both he and the Jets kind of want to move on. It sounds, you know, obviously Becton had his issues with Lafleur, but he talked in the offseason about the coaching staff making him do some things last year, working at right tackle that he seemed to be blaming for the injuries. Uh, you also have the situation where the Jets are looking at it like, well, this is a guy that missed two years and he even had lingering injury this year. I know he played hurt, but still, do we want to commit a bunch of money to him? So. I wouldn't mind seeing him back just because I can't imagine what better options there would be in free agency. If he comes back great, I wouldn't bank on it, but they got to get the best guys they can possibly get. Uh, It's not going to be easy. And then go into the draft and look at it and say, I I think it'll be easier to fill the wide receiver thing in free agency or trade than it would be in the draft. But you got to look at the, you got to say this, this is where I'm coming from. I know there's needs on the defensive side of the ball. The Jets are actually a lot more thin at interior defensive line than people realize. The linebacker, Quincy Williams is really good and younger, but Mosley's coming to the end and they don't really have anything else beyond that. Their safeties are all that good. Even if they bring back Davis, who is better this year, it's not the you know strongest safety group. You've got needs there, right? But you also know that you have a lot to clean up on the offense and you need it to be as, like you said, you can't have it be like what it was this year where Rogers or not, there were a bunch of holes there. They have got to plug up as many holes as they can. And so I think you go into this draft and you look at it like, and and listen, this comes back to Bryce Huff too, because I assume that you can't get a deal done with him. They'll tag him and then either try to trade him or whatever. Look, I think if you're the jets at this point, if you're not going to pay him a massive contract and somebody comes calling with a similar offer to what the bears offered for Montez sweat, you sort of got to consider it because you could use that second rounder to help build the O line. I mean, the closest parallel I could come up with is when the jets traded John Abraham and the pick turned into Nick Mangold. I'm Mm. not saying by the way that Bryce Huff is anywhere near as good as John Abraham because he isn't. And I'm not saying that I would expect the jets to get alignment anywhere near as good as Nick Mangold, but the point is, two years in a row, they used the first-round pick on an edge rusher. Like it or not, if you can leverage Huff to get 
somebody on that offensive line that you think could be a contributor immediately and a difference maker. It's something worth considering, but I think you've got to go into the draft thinking we are going to use every high caliber pick we have on offense and hope to get as many guys that could come in right away and help Aaron Rodgers. So receiver, tight end, offensive lineman primarily, right? You've got to do that. And so that that's what they have to go into this draft thinking. I mean, you see guys like Jalen Polk. I know he didn't have the best national championship game, but he's a good receiver. He's a guy that maybe they could get in the third, fourth round, right? Somebody like that. Roman Wilson, who is on the other Wilson. side. Yeah. Might be a third, fourth round type of guy. And you can go down the list of a bunch of other guys. I like Malachi Corley from Western Kentucky a lot. I don't know if you watch him, but his yeah, nickname- you sent you you actually sent him to me, and I I watched him. I actually I actually was impressed. Yeah, they call him the Yak God, which is very impressive and and also very good for this particular offense. So you know, those are just a couple of names, but the point is. There are guys, Xavier Leggett, if they got a pick in the second round. Now, he may end up going in the first. Again, I should stipulate, I'm just guessing where these guys are going to go. We don't really know. Some of these guys could go higher or lower than I'm guessing. But they've got to go into this draft. As of right now, they've got uh, a first-rounder, a third, and two-fourths. They've got to be strategizing on how to make those four picks turn into guys that can come in on the offensive side of the ball, help protect Rodgers, and help move the chains for him in the passing game that has to be prime primary that has to be goal number one two three four five and six this offseason mm. agency and the draft and so we'll, we'll see what they do but like i said if that means unfortunately sacrificing a guy like bryce huff when you know you have jermaine johnson and will mcdonald if that means not spending much on defensive tackle or linebacker safety and just getting by with what you have you have to do it if that's the sacrifice you need to make. So we'll see. But they've got Joe Douglas and Robert Sala have a long offseason ahead of them. They've got a lot to fix, and we'll see if they do it. Because as you said, Charmin, I think if they come into the season with a roster that's not all that different than what we saw this year, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, it, it's, it's very true. Chris, do you have any more questions? Uh, no, I think I'm good. I, well, why don't we get into the playoffs real quick instead of getting into each game? Give us your give us your your picks for the final four and the Super Bowl. Before we okay, go. so <laughs> make it easy. I will say I I've said all year, Charmin, you know this. I love the Ravens this year. Love them from day one. I thought Lamar would play his best football this year. As a and, and let me put it this way, his numbers were flashier in a lot of ways his second season when he won the MVP. But the reason why I'm so impressed with Lamar Jackson this season is that when he was a free agent, but not really a free, you know, he was a free agent name only because everybody knew that the Ravens were not going to let him go. They were going to match anything, right? My concern was here's a guy that's 27. A ton of his value is what he does with his legs. He's going to start to slow down. He's had injuries. What's what's he going to look like? When that happens. And I remember talking to my friend, Justin Freed from the jet press, who also at one point was covering the Ravens. And he's like, well, he could become a good pocket pet. You never know. And I was like, I don't, I'm not investing on the hope that listen, Lamar Jackson has turned into a hell of a pocket passer this year. Very true. Yes. That is to me, the most, the biggest thing for the Ravens this year 
is how good Lamar Jackson has become inside the pocket. He can kill you with his legs. And if you stop that, he'll kill you with his arm. You see him dime after dime after dime. His receivers are okay. They're not great. And he did lose his best target, Mark Andrews. But yes. man, Isaiah likely has played very well in his place. Beckham has been okay. Nothing special, but he's one of several targets. Obviously the rookies, a flowers has been pretty good. Bateman's yep. down. The old line has been very good, but Lamar Jackson has been cooking. And I think anybody that knows me or knows of me knows that I was going to say a big part of the reason why the Ravens offense looks so good. <laughs> looks so good I know where you're going with that. Is because they hired a guy who has been successful at every single stop he's been at, except Cleveland, where he didn't actually do, have to do anything. And that's Todd Monken, who the Jets should have hired five years ago instead of Adam Gase. But whatever, we'll put that aside for now. <laughs> and the defense, I always thought would be really good, but man, they are just Kyle Hamilton has played out of his mind. Roquan yes. Smith the best inside linebacker in the sport you got a guy like geno stone who has been absolutely fantastic for the ravens they just have a tremendous defense and so i feel like they're far and away at least on paper the best team in the afc in the nfc i think the most balanced team is the 49ers but this is kind of what i was saying to my brother the other day who's a big sports gambler i think in the nfc if you were to corner me and say who's coming out of that conference, it feels to me like you have the 49ers and the Cowboys with the two best overall rosters. You have the Eagles who have a good, really good roster, but they've been so shaky and it seems like a lot of their flaws have been exposed. The Lions are good, but I don't know about them against the very top teams in crunch time situations, especially on the road if they have to play one of the top teams, whether it's, uh, you know, the 49ers or somebody else. So they're, they're in the mix. And I do think the Rams are the dark horse here, right? I think the Rams could make a bit of a run. I think they have the best quarterback in the NFC that's going to be in the playoffs. And so with the best quarterback, and if not the best coach, certainly one B after Shanahan, if nothing else, the Rams are a real wild card in the AFC. The way I look at it is I see the bills have a real possibility I don't love the Dolphins, but I guess anytime you have an offense that can score points, you can't rule it out. But I really sort of look at it and I say Ravens, Bills, outside shot for the Dolphins. Maybe the Browns have a chance to get hot only because their defense is so good. But I feel like we're headed towards Ravens. 49ers and I think they have the two best rosters and I also believe strongly in their organization and coaching I don't like the coaching for Dallas Mike McCarthy steps on his own unit a lot and I think he all makes the time it. yeah yeah and I love Dan Campbell but I just don't know that the Lions are on the level of the other teams so I guess this is going to be boring but if I had to bet on it right now I would say probably Ravens 49ers and I would say the final four, you're probably looking at Ravens. You know, Ravens-Browns would be really interesting. Uh, but I think it, it, it could – I would say either Ravens-Browns or Ravens-Bills. And then I would say on the other end, it's probably 49ers – either 49ers-Cowboys or 49ers I'll, – I'll live a little dangerously. It could be 49ers-Rams. I The Rams are, uh, to me, the most interesting team Ugh. in the – 
because of what I said. They have a Hall of Fame quarterback who is playing great and a brilliant coach who I think can out-scheme and outwork almost anybody in the league. I think Rams 49ers would be a very interesting NFC championship game. So that's kind of where I'm at with it right now. But ultimately, if you were to corner me and ask me who's going to the Super Bowl, I'm going to say the same thing that I've been saying for months now. I may be wrong. We'll see. But I think the Ravens are going to win the Super Bowl. Okay. When we uh, somebody needs to make a case study study on on the whole Puka Nakua thing because uh, I don't know man, man as a talent evaluator you watch this guy play in the NFL how could you not think he was an NFL wide receiver I I I, I don't get it, that there guys fall through the cracks for a thousand reasons look at Stefan Diggs went in the fifth round because yeah. he had issues. Terrell Owens went in the third round. There's always guys that fall through the cracks, but you're right. I think Puka Nakua should give. It's funny. I joked about this. <laughs> I said, how is it that the Jets always do this, but they pick the wrong BYU player? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's funny. That's a good one. Scott, man, it's always a pleasure, man, to have you. Chris, you have one more question? Yeah, no, I was going to say, I mean, think about it. The Rams... This is the second time they've done this with a, a wide receiver, right? Who was uh, a couple of years ago? Yeah, a couple Cooper now. Great. Cooper Cup. Yeah. Yeah. Cooper Cup. Yep. Was, what was his round? Third round. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You know, what, you know what's interesting, by the way, real quick with the Rams, their philosophy, you remember, and I think the, the story was Les Snead's kids got him a mug with this on it. They said, F them, F them picks, right? But the funny thing is, the team looked like they were in deep, deep, deep trouble after yes. last year. But they've climbed out of it. And a big part of the reason why is that they ended up hitting on a lot of those picks, like Puka Nakua, for example. So, yes. Funny how their Interior offensive lineman, Avila. Oh, my goodness. Steve Avila is tremendous. So, yes. I think if you look at it, it's ironic that their whole thing was F them picks. But in the end, the picks are kind of what bailed them out. It was just that they were smart with the mid and late round picks. They've done a great job. Yeah, that's very true, man. That's sure. very true. Yeah. Hey, man, Scott, it's so it's it's always great to have a conversation. I think we should have you more often, man. Uh, because our conversation, you know, you you you're the insider, man. You're basically yeah. the NFL insider. We we that's what we should name you. You know, instead of play like a jet, that's that's what you should be. You're actually better than some of those guys out there. I mean, listen, I appreciate it. I don't know that I'd refer to myself that way, but I will say this. It's always a pleasure talking to you guys. I'm willing to come back anytime you guys want to have me on, even if I know that I'm only your ninth, like ninth or tenth choice. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> so just let me know, and I'll, I'll be there every time. Chris, I know this is the first time you and I have been able to really have a chat off of Twitter but I always enjoy interacting with you on social media and it's been just enjoyable talking to you on this podcast and Charmin, you and I chop it up regularly. We'll, we'll bounce ideas off of each other, joke around and all that stuff. So it, it's great, obviously hopping on with you as well. And I look forward to future contributions to play like a jet.com, which by the way, I can't say anything yet, but we're working on some things where we may retool and relaunch the website soon. And obviously, Charmin, when we do that, I'm hoping you'll be a big part of it. So looking for things there. And then obviously, you, you guys know the podcast comes out seven days a week, 
365 days a year, except on leap years. And it <laughs> it is a, a labor of love, but also sometimes a labor of frustration because it is the Jets we're talking about. Yes. Yes, sir. Of, mm-hmm. As always, as usual, we know. As Jets fans, we know how painful it is uh, <laughs> to be Jets fans. Hey, man, <laughs> but thank you so much for coming through, bro. And uh, we, of course, we're always going to be following you, always follow the, the podcast and and listen to your many insights and your many NFL friends that come through to make contributions on your podcast. Uh, thank you again. Oh, like I said, my pleasure, guys. Thank you. Thanks again, Scott. All right. That's the show, and um, we will be back next week. So we'll talk to you guys next week. Take it easy, guys.